0: Welcome to the Cash Flow Guys Podcast. That's right. You know where you are. It is the new year. We are back. This is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cash Flow Guys Podcast. And we're going to continue our series on the 23 questions you never ask your sellers, but you should be. Now, guys and girls. The most important part of any real estate transaction, the only way you're gonna get things over the finish line is to communicate. The more information you know about the seller's problem, the better deal you can negotiate for you. And frankly, let's not forget about making sure you get a decent deal for the seller. And a lot of times that doesn't just mean price. In other words, if the seller's got a situation they're trying to get out of, they've got, got a situation that maybe has nothing to do with the house and maybe the sale of the house makes the difference to get them out of that situation, Then. Think about you asking the questions to uncover that problem. Think about how that can help you make an offer that will actually help these people. Now, I know a lot of you I talked to, you know, you originally, originally you got into real estate or you got into wholesaling to help people. And especially those of you that are wholesalers, a lot of folks I talk to kind of feel like you're not really doing your best job there. You know, you only know, like you're, it's not exactly like you thought it would be. In other words, you're not out, with your cape running around saving saving the lives and saving lives and saving the world. Instead, you're having to be sometimes, well, less than accurate and whatnot to get deals done. And and a lot of the, the gurus, so to speak, tend to teach some of that stuff. I hear it on other podcasts. They talk about doing, saying one thing and doing another, their marketing message is not, is not on point as far as accuracy and whatnot. And it leads to a lot of distrust in the industry. Now I'm here to tell you the best way to build trust with any seller is to take the time to sit down and have a chat with them because when you are asking them questions and you're having a good conversation to where they feel like what you, what they have to say matters. In other words, they have an opinion, their feelings matter, their situation matters. You're going to do a better deal around uh, all the way around. Okay. That's just the better way to do it. So think about these questions, not so much as an interrogation, think about as a way to build rapport to get, a common ground with the seller, if you will. Let's go ahead and kick off with what repairs are needed. And this is something that a lot of folks, they're a little nervous asking because they think that, well, number one, uh, you're insinuating that there's something wrong with the property and you're absolutely not. Instead, what you're using this for, and I love this technique because it works so well. Instead, what you're using this for is a tool or a technique to get the seller to unknowingly start discounting the property in their own mind. In other words, When you start having them articulate what's wrong with the property, well, you know, it's gonna need the kitchen remodeled and yeah, the roof's leaking. And gee, Mr. Seller, how much do you think that will cost? Whatever their answer is, don't argue with them, just take it as it is. Because you want them to go through this mental exercise of identifying the things that are gonna cost money. And now let's use our favorite $100,000 example. Sellers thinking, you know, they want a hundred grand for their house. Well, guess what? It needs a new septic system. Well, gee, Mr. Seller, how much is a septic system? Oh, 10 grand. So when, when the, as soon as the seller spits out 10 grand, mentally they've already gone to 90,000 in their head as far as actual value. Now there's cases, of course, there's exceptions to every rule. There are cases to where the seller has decided that um, these things have either a very low value or they've already quote unquote, factored that into the price of the property. So asking these questions, this particular question, what repairs are needed, if any? And then if they say none, you say, so the property's in perfectly turnkey condition, there's absolutely nothing wrong. If I bring my inspector in there or you realize I'm going to have to bring my inspector in there, the bank's going to require that, you know, they're not going to find anything that we need to worry about, or I don't want to be, get caught by the inspector. You want the seller to be clear that an inspection is just part of the process, that it's not really something that's negotiable, that either your bank, your partner, your wife, your husband, whoever is going to require an inspection and frankly guys if you're buying property without getting inspection you're kind of playing a version of financial russian roulette so don't go down that road go ahead and spend the money for an inspection you might be surprised at what they find and if they don't find anything great at least you got peace of mind i don't want to belabor that point next question you want to ask him is do you manage the property yourself or does the seller if this is you're talking to a listing agent that is does the seller have a a separate property manager or do they self-manage this is very important because this is going to tell you the, the type of seller that you really have. If you've got a guy that's got 150 single family houses and he self manages, that guy is as busy as a one arm paper hanger to say the least, which means that they're going to probably overlook a lot of stuff just because of human nature, because they got too much going on. You get a hundred individual addresses that you're babysitting. That's a lot. If It's a hundred unit apartment building, totally different animal. Because everything's under one roof, fact. Now, that said, a hundred units under an apartment under one roof as an apartment building is still a lot of work to manage for somebody. So, this is a very important thing. Understand that's going to help you understand. Number one, going back to repairs, guy's got a hundred single family houses, and he's also his own handyman. I got news for you; he's been cutting and taping and duct taping things together for probably decades that's reality because he simply doesn't have the time to keep up with all those repairs. One of the reasons I don't like single family houses, I don't want to digress on that too much, but get the, get that information. This is also going to help you in negotiations because the seller is going to try to give you numbers that if they self manage that do not reflect a property management fee, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we do not work for free. We cannot self manage a property for free. Here's why you get sick, you get injured. You just decide that property management is not for you. You're gonna to have to hire someone where's that money gonna come from well the deal needs to pay for the money or pay for the the property manager but you can't you shouldn't put yourself in a position to where you have to take less profit just because you have a manager this is why you build in the property management cost up front and ladies and gentlemen it's not five percent it's not eight percent okay unless you're buying a thousand unit complex it's not five percent it's not eight percent it's a minimum of ten percent and frankly I still think you're selling yourself short if you use 10%. I use 15% on every one of my deals. I underwrite for 15% property management. Why? Well, because things happen throughout the year. The phone rings. They'll charge you for this and charge you for that as they well should because they're if they're doing a good job protecting your asset, they should be paid fairly. That said, if you're allowing 8% or 5% because of you're using the bigger pockets calculator or whatever you're you're using, then you're going to come up short. And you know, a lot of the real estate educators, they put these calculators and these figures out to make it easier for you to quote unquote, get deals so they can justify the cost of their training. I'm not saying that's the case of bigger pockets. I'm just saying, I've seen that a lot with a lot of different real estate educators. They give you really, really, um, lofty numbers to make almost every, anything look like a deal. Then you wind up buying the deal and you find out, well, you're writing paychecks. You're, 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 instead of cashing paychecks, you're writing paychecks to your investment property, and that's no fun. Next question I'd ask them is, what is, the, how much is the seller paying for insurance? The best thing you could do in this case is to get a copy of the uh, insurance company's declaration page, and here's why. Number one, you want to make sure that the coverage is adequate. It's going to give you an idea if there's any special coverages what they are. This is very, very important when you're doing your underwriting of any property. I don't care if it's a mobile home or a 1,000-unit apartment building, you want to get a copy of that insurance declaration page. Now, I'm not saying you have to get this before you go under contract, but if you can, it helps. There's no harm in asking. The worst they could say is we don't have it available or whatever, but I'm here to tell you, this is a very easy, very simple thing to request. It's not a big deal, so don't make it a big deal just to get a copy of the insurance declaration page. And when they ask why, you tell them because this is the truth. It makes it a lot easier for your insurance agent to give you a reasonable quote for insurance a reasonable quote for insurance means that you're going to be far more friendly and forgiving when you go write an offer if they have to guess and they guess wrong the insurance will wind up getting quoted artificially high and your offer will wind up being artificially low that's just how things go i usually will explain that to the agents a lot of the agents aren't too swift when it comes to this so you got to break it down for them why a lot of them feel as if you're probing and you're asking too many questions this is why the presentation is everything. Making sure that you pose these questions in a way that it's conversational and doesn't sound like you're giving them the third degree. Keep in mind, a lot of these these agents are very, very, very insecure, and they get sometimes they get very easily offended. So we have to remember, go easy, don't go in like a bull with a china shop. I have a completely different persona when I'm sucking up to an agent and talking to an agent. I want to wrap up this episode by just reminding you that it's very, very important that you get on the phone, you have conversations with these. If you insist on dealing on buying listed properties with a listing broker, or if you're working directly with a seller, you've done your lead generation, you've got leads coming in, get on the phone, have a conversation with these sellers. These questions are a great way to gauge a seller's motivation. Yes, you're going to have situations to where the listing broker or the real estate or the um, seller is not going to be willing to share any information. And when that happens, that's unfortunate, but here's the thing. When somebody is tight lipped like that, in my opinion, they almost always have something to hide. Now that said, a bank owned foreclosures and things like that, they don't actually know any information, very little anyway, and they're not going to share with you what they don't know. So you're not going to, you're going to hit a brick wall. This is why I like dealing directly with sellers. Again, guys, how do we deal directly with sellers? Well, we up our marketing game. That's how we do it. If you have a problem getting leads, then that's a situation that you need to be focusing on first because here's the thing, the way to get good at asking these questions to get proficient in having these conversations and sometimes tough conversations with sellers is to do lots of practice. You can read all the books in the world. You can take all the guru courses that you want. You can hire Tony Robbins as your coach. The bottom line is until you pick up, pick up the phone, call sellers, make mistakes, get uncomfortable. That's when you're going to start to get good at this. You're going to refine these skills. You're going to get better at it the first hundred, 200 phone calls, you're going to sound like a ding dong. That's just the reality of it. I did. And frankly, when I take large gaps between calling sellers, cause now I have a team that does it for me. I sometimes sound like an idiot when I pick up the phone, it takes me a couple calls and I start feeling better about it and off we go. Understand this is an uncomfortable process. I don't think anybody, I don't know anybody that's sane anyway that likes doing this part of the process, but I can't begin to stress how important it is. Folks, I hope you found value in this episode. I hope you're going to ask these questions. I can't stress enough how important it is for you to ask these questions. When these sellers know that you are invested in them, that you are there to get the answers that will help you solve their problem, you're going to put together better deals. You're going to have higher returns. You're going to create better win-win situations, and that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you taking the time to come out and listen to this episode. I hope you like this new format. If you do, drop me an email. And frankly, if you don't, drop me an email. Info at CashflowGuys.com. trying to keep the format a little shorter for you, get more punchy, actionable information out to you quicker so you can consume more of it. If you enjoy this style, let us know. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time. This concludes today's today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn.